Welcome to the PT Project Podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm your host, James. We know that biomechanics can seem like a complicated and confusing field, but it really doesn't have to be. Join us every Thursday as we explore various topics related to biomechanics, human movement, and what it means to be a great PT in general. In other words, let us help you make sense of this wonderful world so that you can become the best trainer you possibly can be. Welcome back to the PT Project podcast, guys. We have an in-person one, so we should, you know, talk over each other maybe a bit less than uh, the normal or have less awkward gaps. But today we thought we would try and recap some of the terrible, terrible fuck-ups that we have made. Or in Jimbo's case, apparently he's made none. He spent uh, I'm absolutely minutes. perfect. I don't have any fuck-ups Yeah, he spent minutes here being like, Paul, I've, I've got none. I don't, I don't know what to come up with with these, these terrible The, the fuck-ups weren't maybe appropriate. But then Paul's like, no, no, you need to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be, we're, I'm going to be trying to get them out of him as we, uh, as we roll through our <laughs> journey down. Whether that's career related, training related, maybe personal life related, just stuff that we found in the, how long you've been in the industry now, Jimbo? Uh, too long. Um, 16 years, 16 I years. I think I've been 11 or 12 or whatever it's been. So over all those years, are you trying to tell me you've never made a mistake? <laughs> Oh, I've made many mistakes. It's, <laughs> it's whether they're appropriate to talk about maybe on a podcast. Yeah, so the more inappropriate, the better. Lessons are in the mistakes. I'm here for the inappropriate shit. <laughs> we're in for the inappropriate. So where are we going to start? I don't know. Do you, have you got one you want to go with to begin with? We can start training-wise. Let's ease in. Yeah, training is so, always good. So give me, like, have you got a dumb training injury for either yourself or for a client where you go, what was I thinking? Uh, i got two that come to mind from a training-related thing. There you go. The first one, you're going to have to envision my client performing a dumbbell press. Okay. Cool. Right. We all, well, hopefully, if you've seen newbies perform a dumbbell press, it can sometimes be a little bit unstable, wobble a little bit. But as coaches, we've got to try and push them that extra little bit. <laughs> so if you have tried to push a newbie client to the point where the dumbbell starts to wobble a little bit and you come support under the elbow... <laughs> you're pushing up above the elbow but then they start to hit that failure point where's that dumbbell want to come it wants to come back down <laughs> yep but the issue is obviously it can come back down towards the head yeah they don't, you don't need a face dumbbell yes. to face is a good move yes, yeah so it didn't it didn't actually hit the head it was close to it <laughs> but the addition to the story is we're performing a dumbbell press in the bench press Oh, in the actual bench press. In so, the actual oh bench God. press, yes. Okay, right, right. So there was five kilos either side, plus the 20 kilo bar, 30 kilos on the bar. Yep. yep. So he'd failed on the dumbbell press, and I'd tried to reach over and force it. The dumbbell had come crashing down. Collapsed in toward the chest. Yes. Yep. And then I'd shoulder barge the barbell oh, no. off the rack, <laughs> and the barbell came down. Hit him in the head. <laughs> Just skimmed the back of his head. <gasps> so <laughs> I didn't know that part no, of the story. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh man how long have you been training at that point oh it was a good four years in the industry or something i like, like it that. it was big yeah, fan yeah, yes i yeah, once yeah, managed yeah. to take um this was i don't know it must have been five minutes into a session took a good chunk of my toenail off uh you know that thing where you would pass your clients the dumbbell at the top of the press ready yes. for them and the dumbbells on the floor because they've already done a set and so i used to do a thing where i'd like lift it up like spin it in the air sort of recatch it and then be able to pass them it after that point and I must have done this loads of times. Gordon, who is recording with us, is really annoyed because I demoed that and my hands moved away from the mic. So I went quiet for a bit and then came back. And so he's glaring at me on camera here. Uh, right, but I threw this dumbbell and then 
like I'd done so many times and just completely missed it. Just swiped air and it went boom. And I thought I'd got my foot out of the way in time because, you know, when you're like, I don't feel anything. I must have got away with that. And then the throbbing then started. <laughs> and I had managed to take off. If you look down at your toe and, or like use your thumb and imagine it's your toe and look down, all of it bar the top right corner had been like properly smashed. The throbbing was now so like, oh, mother. In that moment, did you style it out and not show Absolutely it? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. He hadn't started pressing yet. I was giving him the first dumbbell. So oh, that, that didn't feel good. Then I started hopping around the place, had to take my, my, my shoe off. Thankfully, he'd been a client for a few years at this point. I was like, dude, I don't think I can keep this session going. Like the next day, all of my nail just went completely black, started coming off then completely came off, except for this annoying living corner up in the top right that was still alive. So I had to kind of like nail clipper off around the living bit and take, and I don't know if you've ever taken it. Have you ever taken a nail off? No, I haven't. Really. Underneath looks what I can only describe as like shark's teeth. There's just rows <laughs> of fucking nail apparently that live back there. So I looked grim as crap. And then for, <laughs> for about two weeks, maybe a week i couldn't fully put a shoe onto it so i had to train people in one trainer and one flip-flop with my disgusting toe sticking out why didn't you just wear flip-flops two flip-flops you thought than that would have occurred one. to me but i didn't want to look like that guy who was wandering around i think there'd be a part of that guy the fact you've got odd on anyway so that's you, a good point you might as well go in all in so there are many mistakes in uh, in, in, in this particular part of the story. There, so you go. So yeah. took a nail off with a dumbbell. That was a bit of a fail. Also took some calluses off on my hands doing a muscle up once. Like fully ripped them all off. That was fun. So after my story of injuring a client, mm. I'll go on where a client injured me <laughs> on the next one. Um, if anyone who's spotted someone squatting in the past, I know, well, going back years, started my industry, started early on in the career, never really spotted someone squatting properly with any like with load. load okay yeah and you you stand there reaching over and putting your hands on the bar a little bit and then load starts getting considerable and your degrees of elbow flexion or um bicep <laughs> bicep strength is not enough to live to lift a considerable load so when someone increases a load you got to start getting close into them yeah you get you get you get close yes <laughs> and then you got to reach underneath their yeah, arms you get a whispering <laughs> it's very gentle so, so i'd learned the technique to basically have to spot someone under considerable load by getting close into them there, and then coming underneath basically mm -hmm. their rib cage to almost pick them up lift up by the chest yeah. yeah and back in then day there was no consideration for doing two reps in reserve when we're squatting i oh, know balls out it was like you're going to failure i don't care whether you're squatting or on a leg extension a leg extension safer no, no no we're doing a squat we're hemorrhoids or nothing yeah yeah so i trained that way so i trained my clients in a similar manner <laughs> <laughs> yeah one of the clients i was training been training for a while, got up to a point where he's squatting 140 kilos. Nice. I don't quite know what went under his mind or what he was thinking, but he got to the point where we're hitting that failure point mid-squat. And I was there with my hands behind him, up quite close, hands underneath oh, no, his I armpits. Oh no, I see where this is going. <laughs> hands underneath his armpit. And then for some reason, he got to the middle of the squat and got stuck. Dumped it off the back. I went to assist and spot him and help him up. But he decided to flip the bar off his back. So you get a really aggressive zercher. Yes, with 140 <laughs> kilos oh God. that hits the top of my bicep, comes down my arm, I catch it in a zercher position, and then he had gone forwards, and then somehow in like almost complete slow-mo in my head, that goes down my Boom. forearm, and then hits onto the rack, onto the squat rack. How bad was it? 
for your arm. It was in the moment. It was more adrenaline and shock. But yep. there were some serious doms there for <laughs> three, four, five days That's afterwards. Like, yeah, so they'd done 140 kilo eccentric. That's aggressive. <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend. Wouldn't wouldn't recommend to friends. I had. Um, the, I wasn't there for this, but one of my clients once. Uh, I was on holiday at the time, and I got a message from uh, from Julie being like, "I'm in the hospital." I was like, "Oh God, what's happened?" And uh, apparently, she'd been in the gym, and some guy next door was on a rack, and he had. 120 kilos on a bar, whatever it happened to be. And he took all the weights off one side and not the other. (laughs) And at a certain point when you do this, that bar is going to tip up. And reportedly what happened was the bar flipped up, bounced off the wall to the side, and then crashed down into her skull, properly cracked her in the skull. They had to like release pressure by drilling into her skull. It swelled up that bad, apparently. Um, So yeah, that was... It's not really related to anything, but I thought I'd just <laughs> tell us the story of Julie getting cracked in the head with a barbell. wasn't my fault. <laughs> so, outside of training uh, mistakes. Oh, I've, I, here's, mistakes? An, here's another one I've you done actually training. training. I've got probably got, I've probably got more. I, uh, oh, I've got lots more. It's just how far <laughs> we, do we, do we do half an hour just my, on training mistakes? One of my clients who had a shoulder injury, I thought it'd be great if we did battle ropes because n- there's nothing a shoulder injury would love more than aggressive slamming movements i and so sure enough relatively quickly into uh into this session it's like my shoulder is just killing me gone worse and that shoulder had been fine for quite a while so i then set that back a, a decent chunk of time for absolutely no good reason whatsoever and i'd like to say this was in the first year of training but i don't think it was i think i've been training someone maybe like two three years at this point yeah massive balance here go i've already told the story on the podcast before but hit a go in the face with a med ball before too that was my first class that I ever instructed, just catch this. Not with your face. Okay, good. And uh, yeah, so she had a nosebleed. So that was a strong start to my circuit class teaching career. Big fan. So yeah, probably more, but that, we'll, we'll, we'll move on from the great stuff <laughs> that I've done. I've also, this isn't really a mistake. This is just a tangential story. I had a client called Kev once who we used to do finisher things at the end of sessions, whatever they happen to be. They could be kettlebell swinging stuff. They could be rowers. They could be burpees. They could be who knows what. And uh, I discovered at one point that what was really motivating for Kev was to play Eye of the Tiger next to him. Now, I didn't, I couldn't really take over the full gym speakers. So I used to just stand there with my phone, like cupping around the speaker, playing it near to, <laughs> near to him. So he could work a bit harder. He was like, play the song. I was like, all right. So it kind of worked for him. So yeah, we'd stand there in a corner of the gym with Eye of, <laughs> Eye of the Tiger playing and him doing some shit finisher, <laughs> whatever it happened to be. But he was happy. He paid me for years. So there you go. I wouldn't call that a mistake. I just thought it was vaguely interesting. <laughs> so should we continue with mistakes in the gym? Yeah, what have you got? Um, a, a personal mistake. It wasn't really a mistake. It's more of a, I don't know, an accident, stroke mishap. Mm. But it's a good story potentially but, well, let's find out tell <laughs> me i was doing incline dumbbell presses yeah so imagine the bench all of yours a- are dumbbell presses this is what we're discovering about never dumbbell no. press or squat with jim yeah. actually <laughs> no it wasn't you squatting as the client you're okay <laughs> this one was down i say it's a mistake on i don't know it's a mistake on my side it's a mistake on the um, bench's side <laughs> oh no <laughs> okay right incline dumbbell press 33 40 degree incline and they thought nah, um, let's make it a flat press really aggressively yes yeah 50 kilo dumbbells <laughs> I was someone who'd oh, rest the 50 kilos on my knees, yeah. lean back, flick back, yep. and there, 
get the dumbbells so they're locked out above my head. And it wasn't As locked I locked in. back, the bench wasn't locked in. <laughs> so within a space of 0.1 of a second, I was down to a flat press. <laughs> but I didn't have a chance to catch the dumbbells at that point. Oh God. So they just continued to drop down and smack me in the chest. Nice. And then before I knew it, they're on the floor and dropped off to the side. Yeah. Um, oh, I knew a guy once who popped the end of his finger off. Uh, he finished the dumbbell chest press set dumped them off to the sides but there was already a set of dumbbells down there that he hadn't seen apparently his finger got caught in it and just literally popped off that last little part of the finger at the knuckle went <laughs> got reattached so he's fine apparently these days but yeah and then he fainted that story doesn't go anywhere i just was was related to a dumbbell chest press so okay we've we've <laughs> we've got that one and do we have any others related to that well, i think let's go on like nutrition mistakes oh you've got i think <laughs> i mean most of mine really i i don't have a short of food poisoning like being a student and going yeah that bacon's going a bit green but i reckon if i cook it long enough it'll be fine <laughs> only to discover shitting yourself tells you that it was not fine um i don't know most of mine are stupid things, like things that I look back on and go, well, that was a bit unnecessary. It turns out I didn't need to only eat single ingredient foods that I'd cooked from scratch, etc. Well, they're but still mistakes. They're a they? bit so of mistakes, but them. they weren't like terrible. Like, you know, I couldn't have carbs after three uh, and stuff. I don't know what happened at 3.02, but it was going to be very dangerous for me. I, think, um, I don't think people realize now where the industry's at and where things are taught education-wise that in our early days, yeah. 10, 12, 15 years ago, where things were at some of the things that we maybe experimented with or trialed or were taught to us in them days well it's good you think you couldn't track stuff on a phone phones weren't really properly a thing like well they were but you would just literally ring people and text and maybe you had snake right or something <laughs> in those, those days. how far know. back are we going with snake probably, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got your 3310 <laughs> yeah, yeah the th it was indestructible mate. i probably still could have a 3310 but so you used to have to calculate your food in your logbook stuff and do a bunch of like division and maths and then be like Right. Well, the only way I know how to hit these numbers is if I literally stick to this meal plan. So you didn't used to vary stuff as much. And that's where a lot of that shit kind of comes from. And we're fortunate enough now to be like, okay, well, I don't have to do it that way. There's still benefits to having a bunch of structure and some plans, but I know I can put some variety into this and there's nothing uniquely special. If I was like, oh my God, Paul, you've, you've swapped out the raspberries for strawberries. You're fucked. You've utterly fucked it. This isn't going to work anymore. Like, no, okay. We go like, uh, you're fine. But back in the day, that used to be a bit of a thing that that people would sometimes freak out about. But I, for me, I don't look, <laughs> I don't look back at that and go, "My God, that was a what was <laughs> what was I thinking?" Like so much. But I do know that you happen to have one, at least with a poliquin related tale of oh, something that went well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which poliquin one are you? Oh, well, tell us more. I don't know. If you've got multiple <laughs> ones, hit me with some multiple ones. I don't know if you were trying to bring in the vitamin C flush. Tell point. us both, right? <laughs> Do they both end up with the same rough outcome? Uh, no, different outcomes. Okay, sweet. But I was initially, I was thinking of mistake-wise, what I was preaching on to clients um, was a seven-day detox. Okay, what did they have to do in the seven-day detox? They had to purely drink um, shakes, rice-based protein shakes. Ooh. They were fortified with vitamins. And, and minerals. also, this is going back a bit, right? So rice protein, not that easy to get hold of. It's easier now to get hold of rice protein than it probably was then. That's uh, definitely not going to be that cheap. Oh, no, it wasn't, wasn't I mean, cheap. I mean, related, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you also had vegetables on top. Sure, sure. So your diet for seven days was unlimited, <laughs> unlimited vegetables and then these rice-based protein shakes. How and many of them a day? As much as you needed to manage your okay, appetite. Right. And, 
<laughs> stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but the big thing with Polyquin was that you'd buy three, four, five, ten of these <laughs> rice-based protein shakes you needed to last the week that you're living on. Um, and then obviously you'd have vegetables as well on top. Delightful. Yes. Poliquin, for those who don't know, you know, changed the industry in many ways and there's lots to be grateful for, but definitely had some some stuff we tend to look back on, certainly with the nutrition side of things, with a raised eyebrow <laughs> or two. Like at one point, there was a, a recommendation. To be fair, I don't think this was just uh, Charles Poliquin. Other places had this recommendation for a bit of going that you should have one gram of fish oil per percent body fat. So I definitely at one point was recommending obese clients with like 40% body fat. Right, I need 40 fish oil caps per day. That's absolutely what you need. And I see no problems with, with doing this particular thing. I remember doing that one. Oh, it was just the 40 capsules of BCAAs, BCAAs. during my training session. I remember, just the- <laughs> I remember a, a recommendation. I don't know if this was him or maybe Nick Mitchell had it at one point as well of being like, how many BCAAs should you have during your session? And I think the recommendation was like, however many you can basically fit in your hand, just grab a bunch and like throw it at your face and that'll, that'll do. It was either in one of the Ask, Ask Poliquin Q&A books that he had or something kind of like that. I'm not entirely sure which one it was from, but uh, yeah, the BCA recommendation was, was aggressive at one point. Sure. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, that's probably true too. You can afford more, have more. Go more, go more. <laughs> Don't invest, buy BCAs. <laughs> Just IV it into your system at all times. So, but again, like so much of this stuff was was new or was changing or trying things. So lots of what we look back on and go. Fucking hell, what were we thinking? <laughs> what were we kind of doing? Or the biosig stuff where, you know, all right. And it, we can laugh at it a little bit, but I think sometimes it's worth going, well, where does the idea come from? The idea for biosig, if you're not familiar with the idea, is that where your body stores body fat is affected by your hormones. And that bit's true. And we could say that that's obviously true because of puberty and menopause. And if you look prepubescent, girls and boys, pretty damn similar. As they start going through puberty, we see shifts in, like, no guy, almost no guy, ever comes in and complains of a bingo wing. No matter how much body fat they've got, that's not a thing, that guy, unless they're morbidly, morbidly obese. And then they're not just complaining about the bingo wing, right? But females will often come and complain about that. Guys tend to have that beer belly, that central adiposity, more than females. Except when females go through menopause, and often we see that shifting from round the hips to round the center. And so clearly hormones do influence fat storage sites. But <laughs> does that mean we can influence where our body chooses to send that by changing the nutrition protocol that we have? Well, that was the idea. And so we had insulin protocols and we had cortisol protocols and we had test protocols and estrogen I think some ones. of the best ones around liver and growth hormone. Ooh, remind me. So if you, I think it was if your calf was high or your knee was ah, high. God, I've forgotten that. Because <laughs> we measured uh, the knee skin yeah. fold. And that, it always bugged me because on my left knee, I have some scar tissue. Yeah. Whereas on my right knee, I don't. No, it's a growth hormone problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when someone would measure me on the left side, for the knee, I'd come out higher. And I'd be like, no, 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 measure the other knee. No, no, but we're doing this side. Dude, do you remember, do you remember the belly button piercing stuff? 
I definitely recommended to people before that they needed to take their belly button piercings out because that was going to affect some kind of like cortisol uh, kind of bits and pieces that, that would definitely negatively interfere with their fat loss. Or, you know, you, you definitely couldn't use plastics because of BPA. Right, so I couldn't have a microwave for a while. That's more oh, Paul Check. I didn't was... own a microwave for probably 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, you know, those are all mistakes. But Jimbo's got a better mistake than, than these. And I think, I think it's the flush. Oh, the, the vitamin C yeah. flushing going on. <laughs> so one of, I don't know if it was polyquin. I don't want to say it was, but right. it may not have been. But something I read within the functional medicine type world, in a sense that if you start to feel like you're coming down with a cold... Mm. and your immune system's not 100%. So you can take some vitamin C to try and bump that up. But the thing with the vitamin C flush, I can't remember the exact protocol, so please excuse me if I haven't got this mm. spot on, but every 15... You mean you don't run it regularly? <laughs> no, no. Every 15 minutes, every 20 minutes, whatever the exact time is, you take another dose of vitamin C. So you take five grams of vitamin C, water, boom, knock it back, chill. 20 minutes later, five grams, boom, chill. <laughs> <laughs> until bowel tolerance. Yeah. Until your tolerance. <laughs> something's but, going wrong <laughs> and you get to the point where it starts to loosen stools a little bit a little bit but then it continues <laughs> because as, i can there's a lag time <laughs> for every 20 minutes i continue to take it well nothing's happening so i go again nothing's happening so i go again probably two two and a half three hours later taking x amount of vitamin c 40 50 grams whatever it is <laughs> <laughs> at some point it's like you sit on the toilet and then whoosh, <laughs> Which would be all going well and good if it was once. <laughs> but then almost every hour for the next how many hours all through the night. <laughs> continue. Woke up the next morning and I was dehydrated as fuck and looked incredible. <laughs> but I probably also dropped about 10 pounds overnight. <laughs> so the biggest dehydration protocol I've ever gone through. I think, I think we're going to see some people starting to run this as a new photo shoot or stage peaking protocol for you know day before <laughs> if, we, if we're staying with thing coming out of uh, that, one tickles that, me. that hole oh <laughs> my. again within i don't know where i read it at some point in time but looking at enemas <laughs> and the, that's not where i thought this was going immediately right? <laughs> and the supposed benefit of running a coffee enema Okay, so one thing you guys should be taking from this is Jimbo has done way more things that involve him shitting himself than me. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. So, Tell again, us about your coffee, again, It's been a while since I've done the exact protocol, so I can't remember, but you'd heat up some <laughs> organic, has to be the best coffee in there. You'd have an enema kit, you'd lie on your side on the floor. <laughs> and... Obviously, at that point, you'd stick the tube up your backside. Uh, is someone Let helping the, you do this? Or can you reach no, around? I could reach around. That are you, using, are you guiding it and using a mirror? Are you just feeling it out? How is this working? This was prior to bodybuilding days, so okay. I could reach that. <laughs> you allow the coffee to enter. <laughs> then you, you hold it inside for 15, 20 minutes. Until you... <laughs> Wait, wait. Uh, how? How? Because I've never had an enema. <laughs> when you say holding inside, are you are you having to? Are you, is it? Is there a sensation of holding? There's is, a sensation like you need to go for a shit. Yeah. So you're okay. So, so you there's like to, a clenching hold yeah. going on. But the more you do it, <laughs> like a eagle, yeah. you get better at it. Yeah. It's a skill, guys. This is the skill of contraction. 
Okay, so you hold it in for 10, 10 to 15 minutes. How do you know when it's good to go? We get to that tolerance point and they're like, okay, I'm done now. And you go and sit on the toilet and basically waste all that good coffee. <laughs> when you have to do the, you know, like when you're getting, oh my God, I really need to go. Or you've had food poisoning or something. Is the waddle from, I'm going to get to the toilet from laying on my side. You need to lie on your side near the toilet. <laughs> there may be an accident. Uh, it's gonna amazing so, yeah it's been a good few years since i've done one of them so that was probably a mistake <laughs> at the time how many did you do when i was in that phase i did a few oh more than one yeah he's like that worked yeah did you feel better afterwards yeah you get a little buzz from the coffee oh nice it gets into the system doesn't it i hear so. some people do alcohol that way sometimes don't they yeah I've never done it. I have no idea. It's, a, it, well, it's the suppository approach. So, you know, it's one way of getting in. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Any okay. of the guys who were M10, was there were stories that were talked about then, so they'll recall that. <laughs> I laughed. I coughed right and laughed right into the microphone there. I apologize. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what lesson is in that at all. Don't uh, stiff coffee don't, up your ass. Yeah, That's, I think, the general... Drink your coffee. <laughs> Whatever I want to shit read. myself just after the morning coffee as it is. <laughs> um, okay. So if we move then maybe into more of a, I don't know, businessy type thing. So non-training mistakes. I mean, I can give one actually even from the, from the last year that, that springs to mind. Because, look, you're, you're taking chances when you run a business or you're moving into a new field. And there is no guarantee that when you launch a new product or try a new thing out that it's going to go right, etc. And... Last year, it must have been around the January time, it occurred to me, and I can't remember why exactly, that the industry was missing, especially for online coaches. If you want a successful business as an online coach, you need to be able to create content. Yes. Because how else are people going to come across you? So unless you are someone else's coach and they're funneling clients to you, you're going to need to make content. And gone are the days when that content, generally speaking, unless you're, you know, Seabum or something could just be pics of your physique for most coaches it's going to have to be you on camera doing some stuff saying some things giving some ideas whatever right so you need to be on camera and i went to drama school back in the day and have spent plenty of my life in front of a camera waffling and blah 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 and i was like oh do you know what there's probably a space there for helping pts who generally speaking suck on camera be a bit better on camera and so I chucked out at the start of the year. I was like, I wonder if there's some legs in that. I reached out to like Ollie Carson and a couple of people. I was like, dude, I've got this idea. Do you think there's any legs to it? And they're like, yeah, mate, that's a fucking great idea. We absolutely need, need those things. I was like, okay, cool. So then I was like, all right, well, what could I, what could I get out with this? So I, I stuck a thing up on my story of just being like, if I was to run confidence on camera for PTs type thing and put something together for this, who would be in? Just stuck it on a story. Yeses, noes, who'd be interested? Like hundreds of yeses. So I was like, all right there's something here. Perfect. Right. Let's what's the, what's the, okay. If I think about what do I get as my rough day rate? This was back in the muscle mentors days. What would I want to earn from a day of doing this thing? Can I, can I hire a space? I was like, so started looking around. I was like, well, okay. People who are wanting to be better on camera are probably going to be people, be people who don't feel too confident on camera yet. So you probably want it to be a smaller workshop. So maybe like eight to 10 people type thing because you're going to be having to do stuff in front of other people. You're probably going to feel a bit awkward. It's going to be more awkward if there's 30 people. So let's make it smaller to begin with. And then I can make, you know, 
have it be more intimate, more effective for you so you can practice. But then I'm going to have to charge more to make it worth my day rate for this particular thing. So scouted out a location, found a thing, was like, sweet, it was 600 quid for the day or whatever it kind of was, booked it. And then basically announced it a couple of days later and managed to sell as a result of that the grand total of two spaces. And I was like, what did I do wrong? Well, here's what I ended up doing. So the price point was 400 quid per person, which actually, if you were coming to things that we previously done in a small group setting for mechanics, that's entirely a reasonable kind of price point. And if you were coming to the Muscle Mentors, we'd been pumping out loads of content for a while that showed that we were good at mechanics and lots of people had been coming. And there was, you know, testimonials of people going through that thing. So one of the mistakes was, well, I hadn't shown any proof of that I was worth 400 quid per day for that topic is one of them. And then the other mistake was I gave it a month lead time and you had to be in London on a Saturday. So of those lots of people, could I have justified that price point for some of them? Possibly just because they've seen enough and they're willing to take that stab. But with only a month to go and you have to be in a specific place, well, not everyone's going to be there. So if I'm going to run an in-person event in the future, maybe I need to give a longer lead time if it's location dependent versus if it's online. And so after this giant failure of a thing that I was like, ah, oh, this is going to go great. I've had loads of people kind of in on this thing. I was like, I've made 200 pounds, right? That's not going to be worth it. So I refunded those people and just went and filmed myself for the kind of day. I was like, what did I miss? What did I mistake? I was like, either I'm the wrong person to run this. And after checking around and I was like, no, I think I've got the credentials to do this in the background to do it. So what were the mistakes? Well, the mistakes was shit lead time. And I hadn't proven that I could help people with this issue at that price point, certainly at least on that kind of lead time. So it was like, okay, well, what could I do? So went out, wrote really quickly an ebook, free ebook that you could kind of do on that thing. So a bit of a, like a lead magnet bit. And then was like, what if I ran an online six week, we join like each week you come on, we have a live call together, you get given homework, we watch the homework as a small group and let's kind of run that. So got the ebook out, then was announcing off the back of the ebook this group that was coming. And then I was like, well, I'll keep it to a small number. There was like 25 people I said I'd keep on the first one. And then when I announced that, that sold out in four hours. And that was at 150 quid rather than other things. Now, I also then learned as I was doing that that I didn't necessarily want to repeat the course for other reasons and want to tweak it. And I might do something in the future with those bits. But there was absolutely kind of lessons in that of that fucking bombed. <laughs> Why did it bomb? And it's, I moped for a little bit. I was like, oh, I thought it was going to go really well. And it went really poorly. What can I take from that? And, and so that's probably one. To add almost some part of those reasons as to why that bomb from mm. through the outside, from me looking in as well, is so often as coaches from business mentors from different people, we're told to niche. You need mm. to niche down in a certain area. And you're, you weren't known for yep. that area of specialism. Yep. Sense. So if you were to purely niche on that, you would need an X amount of months, stroke years in that area before the business starts coming in and you can start to speak in a certain way where people actually, yeah, I can see value in that. If you go back Whereas and look at if my- If you go and try and, so the lesson in a sense I'm getting to for people who can take with, if you go and try and change your niche because now you're suddenly passionate about something different or some business, tell you, business mentor says to you, okay, you need to niche down, but you're not generally known for training that client, you need to understand there's going to be a, at least a six, if not a 12 month sort of time period before actually it pays off. Mm -hmm. So even from myself and personal experience, previously 
three, four, five plus years ago, I would train bodybuilders or people who wanted to compete or to do some physique modeling because that's the world I was in for a bit. Coffee then animals. got to a point last, last year in a sense where I was like, I'm no longer in that world. Yep. I can't so much relate to guys who are 21 years old and want to get into bodybuilding. So, and I almost felt like within myself business-wise that things slowed down a little bit middle of last year mm. because I was coming away from a certain audience. Whereas now, anyone that's been inquired from the coaching side of stuff, I wouldn't get a 21-year-old bodybuilder because they know they're not coming to me. Yep. So as soon as you change your niche or go in a different area, if that's truly what you're passionate about, stick with it, but you need to understand that there's gonna be a delay yeah. that may take a year for you to start actually getting leads and be able to sell something around that area. Yep. But I bet like now, if you were to talk about confidence on camera, now you've done numerous different podcasts, numerous different things about yep. it, there would be a different well, the, upsell to that. With anything, so if you're running a coaching thing, you are providing a solution to someone's problem. So the first thing is, well, is that a genuine problem for that audience? Well, are PTs generally a bit shit on camera? And if they want to be on co online coaches, do they need to be better on camera? Yes. There is a genuine thing there that people will need help with that you can monetize. But I hadn't put out any... Just because I'm okay on camera doesn't mean I can teach you to be good. There's no proof of that. So I was like, okay. I came up with a whole different series that I just called Camera Tips that was just how many different tips can I give people and I do just one at a time that I could check out that they could go and try to improve their own stuff kind of on camera. So other the lessons that we kind of took from that is shit, I need to be pumping out some content that's actually related to this particular thing. So, okay, I've got a, a free thing that demonstrates some value. I've got a low cost thing that demonstrates value. Does my content show that that is what I help people with? And can I do that for a long period of time so that they can actually start to trust me on that particular thing? And then is that industry also saturated? There aren't that many people teaching PTs to be good on camera. There's more of them than there used to be. And there's lots of videographer courses, how to be, make your videos look sexy and edit this and blah, blah, blah. There aren't many people going, here's how you can be technically better as the presenter on camera. So there's still a bit more of a niche there if I wanted it. But the question also is, well, after having done it, did I feel like, I really want to do this? No. <laughs> like, I enjoy it, and I don't mind doing a bit of it. And But what I also learned, and this is my thing with this, is I would rather create a course that you can buy and then go through in your own time and then do some consultation calls for people once they've gone through that than run lots of group calls or that type of thing for me. Because, And I'm fortunate enough to have I love teaching mechanics and I'd rather spend my time doing that. And I enjoy coaching a lot. So I'd rather spend my time doing that. I could do this other thing, but if I don't want to, then I don't need to because I'm fortunate with this other bits. But I could still, I've still got the skill set within there to monetize a thing that is useful for my audience, but I want to do it in a different way. I could do it in another way that maybe makes me more money, but I'd prefer to have it as a more passive thing than something I, I drive all the time. Cause then I've got to put in all this time making all this content that's aimed at that. And then I've got to do all this coaching and then I've got to do like, eh, I have finite time <laughs> and I'd rather spend that somewhere else. And that's okay. Is there any, so stay for maybe a last point on each of us or so, is there any other business mistakes or <laughs> <Probably anything loads. laughs> that you could finish with or you um, Well, look, I, I think any of the mistakes that you make as cliched as this is, it can be a mistake in that moment. Let's not pretend otherwise. 
but you can still learn from mistakes and hope to not repeat them and take something so that they become useful to you. Like for both of us, lots of things in our careers haven't turned out how we thought they were going to turn out. Like we mentioned the muscle mentors earlier. That didn't end up going and finishing how we foresaw it going when we first joined. Yeah, I said that when I joined the muscle mentors three years ago, three and a half years ago, when it was now, I was like, I envisioned this to be for a long time. Mm. It's not 10 like, years, whatever yeah, yeah. type thing. When I say joined up there with, with Cal and Luke at that moment in time, I was like, okay, I see this for the next 10 years type thing. Um, but I can't look back and say, well, that was a mistake because yeah. now three years later, well, no we more. wouldn't be working together without yeah. that thing. That's how we met and said that. And you well, know, that's, that's where I struggled when we said, okay, we're going to do a podcast about our mistakes in different areas. Like I can easily pull off some stories around stakes and training and stuff like that. Mm. But when it comes down to business, I don't feel any decision I've made as a mistake. Yeah. I may have done it slightly different, even from the study and education and stuff like that. Going back early in my career, two years in the industry, I got out alone and spent 10 grand on a course in the, in the States. I didn't have the money, mm. but six months later or even a year later, I never used one bit of that information in a sense but I go on to spend 10 grand plus travel. Yeah. The course was 10 grand. So in total, it cost me 15 grand. Damn. But I don't teach or ever even implement one thing around that. But that wasn't necessarily a mistake because it gave me clarity that I don't want to continue down that route. That was more of a physio type rehab route right. um, that I did not continue with. And I was like, no, I don't want to work as a physio type area with injuries. Yeah. So it wasn't a mistake. I still learned from it. I think everything I look at business wise, I'm like, I don't see it as a mistake. I just see it as some sort of lesson that's directed the path. We're fortunate in that most of the stuff you do as a PT or online coach, the cost to failing is low. Like, I'm not saying there's there's no cost, but it's a, it might be a few hundred quid or the fact no one buys it, so you just lost time. But like, that's not the same thing as I put a million pounds into this thing and it sunk and I just lost it all. Like, if you fail with some of these things, okay, you don't make money and that still sucks, don't get me wrong. But the cool thing with that being the reality of being an online coach is you can take chances and attempt things. And there is always a lesson in a business failure. There's always a lesson. And it's you're only making shitty mistakes if you keep making them, I think. I think that's a good point to finish on. Sweet. Done. Cheers, guys. You can find us on all major platforms, including Apple Podcast and Google Play. If you like what we have to say here, then please do leave a rating or review. We're only here because of your support, so thank you very much for listening. If you want everyone else to understand how awesome biomechanics is as well, then please do connect them with the PT Project podcast.